in love with the Coco. Also loco. Motion. Train. Murder. Pra pra. Skrrt skrrt. Kukit dum dum dum. Yeah. Hello everybody. Uh, I think that was you just trying to get out your grime face, right? My grime face. Oh yes, there's a lot of <laughs> the uh, grime face. I'm very crusty down there. So anyway, <laughs> boys and girls, this is of course uh, your friends on the last king. Uh, I am uh, El Hefe Jafitong. I also joined with <laughs> uh, the honourable right lieutenant major general oh, wait, wait, Eccentric uh, Tom. Are, are we doing Agatha Christie characters? Or are we doing like the other day characters? We should have the probably the other decided this before we started recording. But sure. Okay, Fuck so it. We'll do it live. I'm, we'll lost, do it live. I'm lost. Manos, Mister Toffee. Lost right Manos. Here. Hey, See, there we go. Always lost. Always never found. Lost. Oh. You, you lost your man. You yeah, lost your course. Manos. I lost my marbles mostly. Oh, you lost your marbles. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Okay, S A S and S I don't know what the female for S A is. One day, one day. Juan, Juan day. Anyway, so yes, we're gonna be talking about two films that came out very recently here. Sorry. What? Are you cracking up over Juan day? That's not even my best joke. Exactly. It's so fucking stupid. Speaking of stupid, we're gonna be talking about Kenneth Branagh's latest attempt at bringing facial hair back to the big screen. Yes, the Bringing speaker. Agatha Christie's uh, famous novel. Uh, like Agatha Christie's, yes. Agatha. Right? Agatha, Agatha. Agatha. Okay, so uh, Murder on the Aaron Express. Arian? Arian. Uh, <laughs> the Murder Aaron on the There was a Because German Orion song. was taken. Because Orion. M- m- oh man. Merger of the Orion Express. <laughs> Last game podcast. Corporate murder. <laughs> so we got merger. Properly sauced up with tequilas right now. <laughs> Celebrating El Mundo de la Cales. I don't know what that means, but okay, so. Uh, okay, they are the hot something. They are mm. the hot tamales, but okay, so <laughs> it's Juan Day. <laughs> so boys and girls, two movies uh, recently dropped here. We have Murder on the Orient Express, uh, directed, written, produced, starring, and also not pen. written, but everything else. Uh, everything else directed and, yeah. by Spearheaded by Kenneth Branagh. Okay, stars aligned by Kenneth Branagh. Doing his best Gilderoy Lockhart impression since Gilderoy Lockhart. Very deep cut right there. Wow. <laughs> I didn't expect we go from Juan Day to that. But first, we're going to talk a bit about this animated wonder that came out from Disney Pixar called Coco. Coco, yes. Coco is a story Coco. of a little senior who uh, apparently whose family doesn't want him to be a bullfighter. So Not a musician. Can... No, no, you're thinking about Book of Nights, <laughs> thinking... actually. <laughs> I think I downloaded the wrong movie, guys. <laughs> Wait, what? They all look the same to me. Okay, oh no, no. my god, we're not going there, are we? Well, I mean, yeah, you know, painted Mexican faces. But anyway, so the point is, it's about this kid who wants to learn about Coco? wants to be music. Miguel. Yeah. Oh, Miguel. He Miguel wants to be a, a famous musician. He wants to play music. He wants to play guitar, but his but whole his, thing was forbidden by his family. And his best friend is fighting in some revolution, right? No. Am I still thinking of Book of Life? Yes, you're still thinking of Book of Life! When did that movie come out? It's like a Four or five, years, five ago. years ago. That really? was that was produced by Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro? Yeah. Why do you think it was so good? I thought it was alright. I didn't think it was that it was okay. great. It was, it was okay. It was pretty good. It was nice because I liked... like Slight detail to Book of Life. What I like is that the two... that The main forces, like good and bad, the woman and like the man. I remember... Like, they were lovers who were kind of having this like... Spat, which is what caused oh, all the issues. Oh, and she bitten by a spider or a No, those are, those are like the humans. I'm talking like the, the two gods who were like... They had the lover spat thing going on. Yeah, it's like, was they still love each other, but the they're like competing and that's fucking over yeah. mortals' lives. So when does Manny Cavalera come in? 
Mm, probably in a remastered version, I guess. Oh, later on, yeah. I'm thinking of Grim Fandango <laughs> yes, now, right? Yeah. But... Also a lovely <laughs> game. Also a lovely story about Day of the Dead. There's a lot of sugar skulls yeah. out there, okay? It's boys amazing and how we can reference three things about Day of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. Remember that movie like Once Upon a Time in Mexico? When they oh. were like having a gunfight during Day of the Day. Oh my god, that was <laughs> cool. Oh yeah, too, Brad Pitt's yeah. friend got hit in the head. Brad Pitt's friend? Brad Pitt's friend. Brad Pitt wasn't in. I'm, no, I'm thinking about the Mexican. You're talking about the Mexican. Yes. Oh, you're thinking about the Mexican. Yeah, there's yeah. no Day of the Dead there. I'm talking about the Once Upon a Time Mexico starring Johnny Depp, who was later murdered on the train on the Iron Express. Look at how oh. I go for a circle. <laughs> there we go. There you go, here, everybody. Here, here, here. All the references. But anyway, okay. yeah, yeah. Coco. So, Coco, so Coco. Latest animated series from. a uh, movie from Disney Pixar. Again, about the Day of the Dead, but the way they portray this, what do you guys think about the art direction of this? Maybe I'm going a bit too far ahead. But well, let's let's finish the setup because I feel like we're missing a few key points. It starts with a voiceover saying that there was this family where the husband was a musician, the wife was a wife, and they had a little girl. And I love how you say the wife was a wife. Like that's like the hardest job <laughs> in the world. <laughs> and then the husband. Hey, it is who totally has... the hardest job in the world. And then the husband go. who wanted to be like the best musician ever. So he fucks <laughs> off yeah. and never comes back. Typical Mexican. Yeah. Typical. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I can't say that. Last game podcast, finally an actual racist thing. <laughs> we're we're minorities, so we can. I would like yes. to you are not a minority, my no, friends. You're not a mi- I, I'm technically more of a minority than you. I would like to apologize to all our Mexican <laughs> viewers and listeners. If you're viewing this, how are you viewing this? We're an audio podcast. But like yes, okay. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sir. Uh, so so yes. But the but the wife itself herself, she is not being self. She's not being pity on herself and all that. Yeah, so she she become she becomes a, a shoemaker, yes. and becomes a shoemaker and bans all music, which I think is a bit of a drastic response to being left alone by. I don't know some deadbeat musician. Well, it's a nice setup. I yeah. Guess, so when so. does Kevin Bacon come in? Nice setup. And like bring music back to the town. You're thinking of footloose. <laughs> was any no? There was no day of the dead, but John Lithgow looks like he's dead inside. <laughs> nah. Anyway, back on back on to your back, back on to your recap. A very meandering episode. Sorry, boys and girls. So yes, Coco. Anyway, yes. Um. So we finally fast forward to our main protagonist called Miguel, who's Miguel? 11, 12, around that age. Yeah. Like he's still young enough to where he's not like he doesn't like the idea of romance or being attracted to girls but he's got like the ideas of what he wants to be when he grows up he's like that a kind musician. of that precocious moment but i mean like he's also the obvious i'm the rebel of the family i'm the one who wants to you know stand out and everything out. and he then, doesn't want to make shoes for a living yeah he doesn't want to make shoes for a living and then he discovers oh manifest destiny he's actually destined for greater things apparently yeah because he finds out that he thinks that he is the illegitimate son. No, he's no, the great, actual son. No, they just didn't really. No, the reveal. great, the great, great grandson yeah. of this really famous Mexican musician Ernesto. called Ernesto de la Cruz. Ernesto de la Cruz, who played by uh, Benjamin Bratt. Benjamin Bratt. Ah, that's where the voice comes yes, from. Yes, yes. Which is, uh, and he dies in the most horrific way. Oh. He gets crushed by a Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the point is, yeah, that's still when that setup happens. Um, he's actually a celebrated guy in that village anyway. And then when yeah. the kid tried to steal the guitar from the shrine, and he because ends up he in the does day it, of the dead. well, yeah, it's because it's set during the Day of the Dead. Yeah. So that's the day. Cinco de Mayo? No, Day of the Dead. Dia de los Muertos. Very different day. Dia de los Muertos. It's around Halloween time. Halloweenies? Halloweenies, indeed. Okay. And it's the idea that your. Uh, Ancestors who have passed away, they'll come back at this time of year. They'll follow a trail of uh, flower petals and come visit you. And you can give them food and offerings and they come to see how well you're doing. But only if you've put up their pictures and you remember who they are. 
Yeah, this I is an important po plot point to remember. Mm. And the thing is, he picks up this guitar, which was owned by Ernesto de la Cruz, and he starts playing it, and that's what makes him cursed. So now he can see the ghosts yeah, that are coming over from... Also go to the, 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 the land of the dead, basically. Yeah, because apparently if you steal a dead man's possessions on the day of the dead, that's when your family gets cursed. And the only way you can get past it is by getting your dead ancestors' blessings to return to the land of the living. So our young Miguel is thrust into this magical, colorful world of sugar, skulls, and such. Very, very sugar, colorful. Sugar, spice, and everything nice. Yeah. I think this is the one thing that Pixar does very well, the visuals and the aesthetics. Oh, it's yeah, I mean, that just yeah. looks really good. It gets to the point where you don't give him points anymore for being good at their job, because if Pixar produces a mediocre-looking thing... Cars you can three. tell. <laughs> you can tell. Or the animated show which came before Coco. Oh, the Frozen thing? Yeah. I blame that more on Disney. Oh yeah, I mean, that was awful. Well, good news, they're actually taking that off the air where, for, the air? Future, for future uh, theoretical releases Wait, of did you Coco. see the, the, the version with the attached... Uh, what is the guy's name? The Frozen character? Josh, Josh Gad? No, no, no. I mean, Olaf. The, Olaf. Olaf's Frozen Adventure. Yeah. Right? yeah, that was the one I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. they're you cutting that off. Yeah. Oh, they're they not showing it anymore? No. Uh, I, future, for future, for future ones. But yeah, it was so poorly uh, taken because it was 20 minutes long. Yeah, I didn't realize because the thing is, I I do remember it's almost back, half an hour, man. What the fuck, man? But I mean, were you? I mean, definitely you. Like, remember when they would show like the Great Mouse, the Great Mouse Detective in the cinemas, and then there'd be like a Mickey Mouse short in like right before that. Back in the day. Back yes, in the day, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it was very normal to have an animated feature be like you know uh, followed or like. Also, the correlating uh, to something. They'll preface it with something. Yeah. Yeah. But that's something that Pixar's done before, and there've been nice ones like yeah. the one about the two volcanoes. And usually, was... that's to showcase a tech they're gonna use for future. Disney films or Disney Pixar films later, yeah. in, in, later me, on. Yeah, it just felt like, oh, here's This was very tacked on. This, this uh, was Frozen purely one. because it's nearly Christmas and we need to remind people that Frozen was a thing that gave us a lot of money. And Frozen 2 is coming up, that's why they do that. But I was oh. Also, oh, that's gonna be a thing, right? It is a thing. Right? There's an actual official sequel to a Disney princess. Can't Disney soon, do soon. the usual thing and do it straight to video? Like Cinderella 2. Uh, or Cinderella 3. <laughs> or Tangled 2, Aladdin 2, Lion King 2. Like, think of a famous Disney movie, and two, Mulan there two. you go, that's the home release. 102 Dalmatians. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's a thing, yes. Princess Diaries 2. Yes, that's Consenting a thing. Consenting Adults 2. Uh, what? So many things. <laughs> uh, that's a Buena Vista Disney adult movie made in the 80s. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, okay, I'm, 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 I'm spilling out with references here, but yeah. okay, yeah. so... Anyway, so the rest of the movie is him trying to find Ernesto, Ernesto de la because Cruz. he wants his blessing, because that way he can be a musician, because... His family that are still in the afterlife, yeah. they don't want to let him be a musician because they still remember the hurt that was caused by yeah. Imelda, who is who's who voices Imelda. Imelda uh, is a oh man, I'm gonna have to look at IMDb for this because there's so many names in this show that who are these people again? I mean, I'm, I'm okay, just gonna guess Marissa told me. Marissa told me is yeah, Alana Ubak. Of course, I probably pronounce her name wrong anyway. Mama who, Imelda's voice. What's she been in before? Who Marissa told me? No. <laughs> Whatever, but you know, let's not call out the actresses, you know. But hey, anyway, that's but, all the strength of Pixar movies. Yeah, anyway. yeah, they'll just pick people who are not that famous, but not that unknown in a sense. Okay, yeah. here's another thing I want to kind of bring up. Okay, if you want to talk about the casting, well done getting Gael Garcia Bernal to play Hector, because like the last time I saw him in anything really amazing was like Amores Perros or Itumama Tambien. Wow, okay, I know the second film. At least that, I know that him. second film. That's like fifty. He was years one of the ago. young kids, right? Following he was the one mom. of the guys. Okay. He was the other yes. one. The no, one. He is the good-looking one. 
Okay, okay. The shorter one. Right. You know what I mean? Isn't he also in uh, Rogue One? No, you're thinking of somebody else. Diego Luna, yeah, I Diego think. Luna. You're thinking of Diego Luna. He was Luna. also in Itumama Tambien. He's the other guy. Oh. You don't think he's a Hampton one? No, I'm more of a Gal Garcia Bernal guy. Okay, fair enough. But anyway, he plays... Well, technically, they're both in Disney movies now. There you go. And like the thing is, like him as Hector, like to me, this is the heart of the whole show. Is Who just... is Hector? Hector is the companion who follows Miguel. Yeah, we didn't say that. There we go. Hector's the guy who follows him around. Okay, yeah. Along the way, he comes across <laughs> Hector. Yes. So yeah, like so, the C three PO to this R two D two is Hector. There we go. Okay, so Hector is to me the heart of the show. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, we're speaking yes. about characters, yep. and then the thing is, uh, should we spoil it or shouldn't we spoil it? You know what? Because this movie is still out in theaters for the first time ever in the last game podcast. We're, we're not, not gonna, gonna spoil, it. spoil it. Yeah, yeah. We're not gonna spoil it because the thing is the payoff and the emotional ending, and then we the tears. Oh my the god, feels. the tears. Okay, so. <laughs> This is why I want to bring up, this is my internal measure for if a Pixar film is good or not. Do I tear up at the end? If the answer is yes, it's a good Pixar movie. Okay. And I'm guessing you did. But you did oh, cry Absolutely. At, but didn't you cry at the end of Cars 2? Fuck no. <laughs> no, you cried because you wanted your money back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so the why Pixar? Okay, I'm going to be very general about this. The twist, people can see, I mean, we can see it coming a mile away, but the way the they tw- handle it and everything, that's executed very well. Yeah, the twist. Film. I mean, for a kid's movie, it's, it's still smart. Yeah, yeah, it's smart. They, they handle yeah. it in a smart way. Now, I yes. think we saw it because we've seen so many movies. Mm. And so we can see narrative clues when they pop up. Yeah. But if this is, you know, the audience who are going to be younger or like, you know, the parents of kids, like they're probably not going to be going like, oh, this is so telegraph this is like such an obvious thing it's still done well enough where you go like oh i'm kind of caught off guard i mean like in a good way in a good way and the way they actualize it it's so heartfelt and wonderful it's just yeah yeah. and it also celebrates its culture very well the music and everything soundtrack and even the way that even the spirit animals look and the lost spirit animals oh absolutely i mean i loved um the dog dante yes dante spoilers (laughs) I mean, Dante was introduced in the first 10 minutes. It was not revealed that he's a spirit animal until the very crucial moment. No, but they always refer to him at, like, at the beginning. And he follows him into the afterlife. The, you think of the children at the top. <laughs> no, Sorry, but kids. I'm, 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 but here's the thing. Wait, if you're, if you're children and you're listening to the Last King podcast... Please, you should not, Please actually. turn this off right now. We should, let warning. me talk to your parents. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're obviously Mom, not paying Dad, attention. Mom, in the room, turn yeah. off this podcast right now. We say fuck a lot. Anyway. We play porn in the background. Boom, chika wow let me play anyway <laughs> uh, but okay I don't really want to spoil uh, Coco at all but the thing is like no, the, the I wouldn't even want to say it's a twist because that is the logical ending mm-hmm. and it was done perfectly well ah. and of course like oh yeah I teared up like a motherfucker at the mm. end of this movie especially when you realise why it's called Coco because at first when they start because you know the main character is called Miguel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's only one character called Coco Which and Mami Coco yeah, yeah. Mami Coco yeah. and how when it, you realize how it all ties in, it really struck a chord with me. Yeah, it did. Because it reminds me of certain things which have happened in my personal life. So it kind of struck a little bit closer to home. Shall we do spoilers for your personal life? No, no, no. <laughs> but I'm just saying that if uh, I'm sure that plenty of people who are watching and go, this kind of stuff has happened to me, uh, or I know people yeah. who have had been through this, and I, that will. I mean, struck if you're a chord. just close with your family, absolutely. Like, drive nails into your heart. And it's also really unfair to make the comparison that this and the Book of Life are the same. They're, they're very not. different movies. This Coco is all about family. I wouldn't say, I would say agreed. They're different but they're unfortunately similar enough 
visually they will confuse people. The they're both animated movies the, the take on which the deal with yeah. which is hence me explaining my own joke at the beginning of the segment. Thank okay. you very much. <laughs> okay, I did see both these movies and I still prefer Coco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, as much too. as much as I like Book Book of Life, but Book of Life to me felt like you know. Uh, the the whole okay, I I don't want to talk about book of like too much, mm-hmm. but the whole story within a story within a story, and then telling it to like a bunch of like snotty little kids. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't really appreciate it at all. Like that whole segment could be cut out. I like, mean, it was a bit too much, but I liked it because then it gave a good argument for as to why the animation style was like you know cut out marionettes and then became around. puppets after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and th- I like that because that's a really cool visual style. It's almost but not quite stop motion. But yep, like, yep. like here's the problem I have with Book of Life. Okay, they, I don't like you know. Hard this is the thing. last thing we talk about about Book of Life. Yeah, okay, this, this is gonna the last thing we talk about Book of Life. Okay, besides the fact that they use licensed music, which felt very awkward. Yeah, and, like when you hear Coco with the original songs, like wow. And, it's, and some of the traditional yeah, like yeah. mainstays, right? And then okay, another thing about Book of Life which I really didn't like was the fact that um, it felt cluttered. Yeah, it felt like I was trying to do too many things at the same time. And even with the art style, when you looked at it, it's like there's too many things to be paying attention to. Whereas Coco is like okay, it's colorful and brilliant and vibrant, but the, the focus is still here's that character going through his moment. So that's yeah. the, the strength of. And they have their standard, you know, little Pixar Easter eggs like you see the pizza van. Oh yes, the pizza man! My God. Yeah, yeah so it, it ran across. Yeah. The, no, but did you all see Woody and Buzz? No, I didn't. Oh, they were little uh, piñatas in one scene. Yes, oh, yes, I think I remember the piñatas. Uh, and there's yeah. a Nemo. I don't know. Did you all find Nemo? No, I didn't oh, find no, Nemo. No, no, no. Nemo is on what do you call that? Uh, that shrine they built in their house with the photos. Uh, Nino's in the family corner. shrine. That, the yeah. Ariandre or something. Yeah, something like that. I'm sorry. Okay, the, pic- the picture shrines. The picture yeah. shrines. I don't want to like butcher the Mexican language, you know. But there's a little yeah. Nemo in the corner there under a candle, and because it's all bathed in reds and oranges, like it's literally invisible. Mm. But I, I I caught it and I was like. Actually, now that he's mentioned it, I do remember seeing it now. I do remember seeing a little fish, but for some reason it didn't like click in my head. Yeah, but it, there it is. There's Nemo. I mean, like, okay, if, if you, I think there's another evil thing that uh, Pixar does is like, because of all these Easter eggs, it tries to convince you. You gotta watch the movie again. Yeah. Just to catch. It's the just Easter trying eggs. to tease people that oh, apparently this and Toy Story's world and Finding Nemo's world are somehow I don't buy into that. that. No, no, people are making conspiracy theories. I've, I've and seen that conspiracy that. theories, and it's so contrived. Yeah. It's. So her, like, especially when they added Brave, it's like okay, now you're trying far too hard. No, I think yeah, they're trying good. far too hard when they try to explain the Cars universe being. <laughs> oh yeah, part it's of like, that. Some dumb. post-apocalyptic universe. It's like it's like the directors here. for Coco knew all that, all these threads happening. They're just trying to fuck with them by putting all these cameos. And maybe. then retconning Monsters Inc. to be like time travel rather than dimension travel. Okay, like, but I think they're probably having too much fun doing I'm the cameos. Sure I guess. I'm pretty sure all, all, <laughs> all fans it. of the last game are aware of the so-called shared Pixar universe and if you're smarter than that you know it's a waste of time yeah. you. if you if you want to go ahead and fall down that rabbit hole go, yeah go ahead and waste your time yeah. but then, okay, we got things to do can actually. I speak on behalf of people who work in the like the industry where yeah. we do like you know art for movies and stuff mm-hmm. yeah th- those are called pre-renders like these are things we build and we just put into scenes to test lighting and to test you know or just to fill up the background and I'm sorry if we reuse it for another movie yeah. So we're, not, we're, mean, we're not gonna spend like a few weeks making I'm, that one thing. I, this took, yes, this we're gonna reuse shit from this old movies. This took me literal weeks for a few seconds in one frame. Like, yeah. of course I'm gonna fucking reuse it. Of course I'm gonna use I it. I wanna go home. And I'm hoping that none of you are Asperger's enough to realize that. Like back in the old days, it's like, oh look, they're using the same backgrounds. Like yes. And like yeah. Do you know how expensive? <laughs> Paper is. Do you know how sure our deadlines are, boys and girls? We had to, to create all of this. You know how many days it takes to render Sully's fur? 
<laughs> like literally. And then, oh my uh, god, it's a fucking nightmare making an engine for that. Too. No, not just that. You know, like boys and girls, do you have any idea what a render farm is? Okay, but <laughs> let's not digress too much into the technicality, right? And okay, let's not ever bring up the Pixar universe ever again. Yeah. But we can talk about how Coco, I mean Coco, looks, sounds, everything more or less, right? It, again, it, it's <laughs> actually I'm gonna say something maybe a little controversial. Probably not the best looking Pixar movie they've made. I think I disagree. I think it's the best one because they, uh, it finally doesn't look like a CGI movie, in the sense where it, it doesn't have the same hard shadows. It doesn't have the same visual tone. It like it really feels like something a little bigger than what it is. I guess, and <clears throat> I mean, I'll give you that. But I still feel like the best looking one is Toy Story Three. Toy Story Three, I think, is the it most does look good. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think visually, I like Toy Story three a lot more. Even I'm, when he entered the the dead world and he saw all the colors and all. No, I mean that was beautiful. But the thing is that because Disney Animation Studios have caught up in some ways, mm. that sometimes like I had to remind myself that I was watching a Pixar movie, and. But they both own both now. Eh? I know that they own both, but still, Pixar is Pixar. It's like their own thing. But to me, Pixar strength, whilst it still is animation, the main thing is being able to take simple stories. And add so many complex, mature weaves into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I love the whole joke they made around um, what's her name? Uh, uh, Unibrow right? woman. Frida Kahlo. Frida Kahlo. Frida. Yeah. The whole Frida Kahlo segment just cracking me up, man. Yeah, that's a good reference. Yeah, yeah. I also like oh, what's his name? Uh, El, the luchador with the silver mask who's like enters in during the party. Oh yeah. What's his name? I don't God damn it! I see. There you go. I'm, 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 here, here, my my luchador badge, boys. Uh, but okay, like I love the subtle references, not only to within Pixar, but within to Mexican culture. Like the yeah. famous Mexican revolutionary was doing a sing along with Ernesto de la Cruz in his mansion. There you go. And Which like, I remember what his name was, but he's there. Yeah, we're not Mexican. We're not meant to remember. Yeah. But like, it's it's a nice thing where you know you watch this and you'd be like, these names sound sort of familiar, and then you want to look back at Wikipedia or look I think back at Zapata. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Zapato, yes. Oh, there you go. In, yeah. I think it's Emilio Zapato, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, here's another thing that I want to also kind of uh, highlight is like, oh yeah, mostly non-white cast. They yeah, absolutely. Got, you know, people... And also, if you look at the credits, there are a lot of uh, Latinos that were involved in every other aspect. All the animators, a lot of the art directors were all Latino. Mm. I think the one name I kind of recognize from the cast is probably Edward James almost, and only because he's from Battlestar Galactica back oh. in the day. He was in Blade Runner. Oh yes, yes, yes. Blade Runner 2, yes. Wow. <laughs> Shout out I... to four episodes ago. <laughs> oh my wow. god. Anyway, so boys and girls, right? It'll be worse if you're like, oh yeah, I love them in Saint Almost Fire. <laughs> Shit. Okay, I think I should just say that just to piss people off. <laughs> no, but let's just also mention the fact that uh, not only an amazing cast, but let's talk about this young talent they got to play Miguel. Uh, yeah. First timer. Um, yeah, and like amazing singing voice, amazing Anthony acting Gonzalez. voice. Anthony Gonzalez. Anthony, like Newcomer. kid, you have a future. How old yeah. is he? Probably 11, 12, 13-ish. What is it with uh, uh, kid actors being good these days? Like, yeah, like first it was the Stranger, uh, Stranger Things kids, and now like this guy, Daphne Keen. Where the hell are they coming from? Like, why are they good? Strict well, backgrounds, maybe? I don't know. And why weren't they good 10, 15 years ago? Okay, let me remind you of uh, this thing called the Musketeer Club, which gave us Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, Britney Spears, and Christina Aguilera at the same time. Yeah, but... <laughs> they all came out together, and they were all amazing little kids, and look at them now. So, like, 
if you have the Disney pedigree, I mean, like, you just look at fucking Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> That's not Miley, a good example. <laughs> and Miley Cyrus, you know. Again, she on Hannah Mo- there are some kid actors and actresses who do not so have here a good is or like, education. For so that here's, here's the life warning to you, young. Uh, what's his name again? Uh, the guy uh, Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Gonzalez. Gonzalez. Don't do cocaine. Look at Auntie Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> Get a proper education. That's what you need. No, no, like right. And don't give the money to your parents. Like, yeah, that works too. Uh, yeah, if you don't want to get you know screwed over like Drew Barrymore, or how about the the kid who played Ducky in Land Before Time? Oh, one who oh. was killed by his, killed her, by her, her father. father. Yeah. yeah, that was crazy. So yeah, speaking of death and depressing things, right, but this uh, is the Coco. <laughs> I I read this thing afterwards talking about how if you look at the philosophy behind Coco, especially how they deal with the afterlife, it's kind of depressing, man. Yeah. Like, so long as you are remembered, you will have an afterlife. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you're forgotten, like that's it. You go to the great beyond or something. And or also, into, like, dust. <laughs> and also, I think there was some kind of social commentary about how people like Ernesto de la Cruz, Frida Kahlo, they're being remembered forever because they're famous. But a lot of people who you know were just ordinary family people. What about the people who put them there? Yeah, like they're <laughs> they're long forgotten. <laughs> I even like you know other people will remember these great names over their own family members but somebody had to deliver paints to Frida Carlos house what, yeah. what, what's that guy is doing exactly or the guy who was driving a car that uh, caved in her uterus <laughs> well, we remember that right? <laughs> <laughs> look up Frida Carlo and you'll understand what I mean or you just watch the movie starring Salma Hayek and it was that was a good movie and um what's the other guy Edward Norton right no no not Edward Norton Eduardo Norton he was he was Doctor Octopus in uh, Spider Man. Oh yeah, um, Frank Molina something. Alfred Molina. Alfred Molina. Thank Alfred you. Molina. Yes. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Doctor Chaffee remembering things. <laughs> you or no, attempting to. No and worry, just don't watch Tolstoy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So don't remember all of you. Like, yeah, I'll remember all of you. Yeah. So, so anyway, back to Coco. <laughs> We're going on so many tangents because, again, this movie is good and we don't want to spoil so much, which is why we're not really talking yeah, so think much about it. I, if we didn't like this movie, we would be spoiling it and ripping it to shreds. Okay, tell yeah. you what, let's do it uh, lasting style. Um, okay, we've talked about the visuals. You felt that it's not the strongest one, but it's still amazing. Absolutely. I mean, when I say it's not the strongest, that's not me saying it's bad. It's still very, very good. But personally, I found that Toy Story 3 was more interesting visually and struck a chord with me more. How about you, Mr. Okay, this year I don't think I've seen any animated shows that, you know, that struck to my mind and all that, except for maybe Your Name, and that was like what came out last year, if I recall. Yeah, that was or last year. This year, yeah. nothing, there aren't even any animated shows that were really memorable. Because mm-hmm. Coco is probably the only one in my head right now that comes with a really lovely visual, comes with a really great, if sort of predictable story in that sense, but at the mm. same time with a really emotional ending, per se. Mm. And. It also celebrates the culture a lot and also respects it to an to extent to the point where they bring in Frida, you know, and all that. I mean, like, one thing I want to bring up about Coco, especially about Coco, and especially about how this world is put together and about how the characters actually discover and uh, interact with their environments, right, is like, I mean, I tweeted out recently that uh, to me, Coco felt like Pixar slash Disney doing as close as possible a job at attempting Ghibli perfection. In a sense, where mm. it's like when you watch like Howl's Moving Castle, yeah. or when you watch like Spirited Away, absolutely, like, just the way visually how everything dances on screen and it doesn't clutter. That's mm. one thing. Like one thing I appreciate about Coco is like 
it's colorful, it's vibrant, it's bright. There's a lot of details to pay attention to, but it doesn't clutter, and it, it still helps you like uh, push your focus to where it needs to be. I mean, especially with the characters explaining yeah. like, emotional moments and the use of marigold petals a lot because that is significant in the other. And there's another thing I want to bring up. There's that? a very strong visual yeah, style yeah, which we marigold. we oh. haven't had in a Pixar movie in a long time. Yeah, thematically, it's very tight. That's but what which I would was say. which was the it last works, Pixar movie yeah. which had that kind of thematic strength? I would say it's still Toy Story three. Toy Story three, basically, with like especially with like. Andy growing up. Absolutely. Wait, and what? What came out in between Toy Story three and Coco again? Cars two, Cars three, Good Dinosaur. <laughs> okay, go on with your analogy then. Like, you know because I mean? like nothing else. Yeah. Because the thing oh, is like, actually Inside Out, but actually, yeah, oh my god, Inside, Inside Out. Out it's okay, is... but it, it, to me, it falls short on certain levels. It made me cry. Therefore, it's a good Pixar movie. But the thing is, uh, uh, to me, Inside Out is like, yeah, I prefer Osmosis Jones. Really? I did not like Osmosis Jones a lot. I did not like that movie. This is very early 90s Chris Rock. uh, I mean, it is similar to that, but still, Inside Out still emotionally. Isn't it about white blood cells? Something like that. But uh, then also, okay, tell you what, you want a really deep cut reference? Like, Inside Out, not as good as Herman's head. Okay, very deep. (laughs) Is that the one from the thing though? Sorry? No, 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 no. Oh, no, that's the numbskulls. That's the numbskulls. Very deep cut right there, you know? I'm pretty sure that wasn't even on the Beano, that was on the Dandy. No, that's a Beano. But like, in between like, Toy Story 3, Inside Out, and Coco, I don't think there were there was anything significant from so Pixar the thing out. So this is the discussion I want to do, is like, um, well, let's stack them up. Okay, where does Coco rate against Toy Story 3 up, and like, you know, the Pixar hits you in the feels? I'm gonna put it just next to up. This is right my... Really? It is still predictable, it's but... It's up, then Coco, then everything yes, else. Yes, yes. Because, again, <laughs> the visuals and the te- and them using Day of the Dead as a thematic piece say it makes a lot of difference, per se. For me, it's uh, Toy Story 3. Uh, Inside Out. Really? Coco. Inside Out, abo- above Up. Because Inside Out really struck a chord with me, personally. Okay. Because... When I was six, I moved country and had to completely forget everyone I knew and mm. knew and had to do kind of what Riley did. Mm. And there was an added impact that because I grew up in France, my English skills weren't very good. So I had a hard time making friends. And so I felt quite isolated for several years. No, and so that's why Riley's story really struck a chord with I mean, it me. surprised me because you're the married man of the group and I would have thought Up would have been the one. Maybe I, maybe I need to rewatch Up, but I mean, it's just the first fifteen minutes can destroy miss, you, I, man. But the, I, I can know, I tell felt, that it's emotionally manipulating. But the, the, the problem with Up is like nobody can talk about what happened after the. Yeah, first yeah, yeah. Months. They don't remember the. What's the adventure half. about, right? Basically, but it still has that really touching moment where he's looking for the scrapbook, and then when she says, you know, go have your own adventure, like that. <laughs> that made me tear up again. Come yeah, on, yeah. just thinking it, it, about that. And it was nice right that now, he was yeah. actually, you know, helping the kid out. I, mean, I would say this right, as much as I love Up, right, like that worked as a short. The other adventure was actually that felt like the uh, why does the hour and a half I feel after like it tacked on to the twenty I mean, minutes. It's definitely where you could tell they came up with the premise. They came up with the short, and, and it then, has to be a movie. And then right? they yeah. went, okay, now what the hell are we gonna do? And the running gag with the dogs, at least that was memorable. It was It was cute and it was great. And as an owner of a dog, that's really fucking accurate. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, but I would say. Coco is the best dog. Oh no, Dante is the <laughs> best yeah, yeah. dog Coco I've is best dog. ever seen. 
Hashtag Coco Best Dog. Coco Best Dog, even better than the Slinky Dog from Toy Story. God bless you, Barney. I loved how, you know, he would just fall over or trip over his own tongue. Uh-huh. His tongue would just like wrap around his head like a... <laughs> I think my favourite moment of that dog was like fucking like, you know, Oh, I'm allergic to dogs. But he has no fur. And I have no nose. Does <laughs> <laughs> make sense? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, okay, it's that kind of movie. Okay, there you go. Also, I... Uh, bringing back your reference to um, Grim Fandango, I love the bureaucratic scenes in uh, Coco. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, no, that's why I brought it up because it felt to me like when I was watching something like Coco, it's like it didn't feel like you're stealing. Yeah, yeah. But it felt like oh, this reminds me of that other thing. It's a nice reference slash throwback. And that's why they I'm, probably play Grim yes, Fandango. Yes, they must have. Come on, they're geeks. They're Pixar geeks at Pixar anyway. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure. And like, but then again, it's like yo, man. Throw Tim Schafer a bone, yo. Yeah. Come on. You know. Work he together to make a game somehow. I don't know. Like, come on. Like, start up Lucas Games. Disney, you own that shit now. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can In Fandango 2, you can, who knows? You know, like, Psychonauts oh. 2 is barely going to happen, right? It might happen, actually. But Maybe next is year it, is or the year after. Okay, let's not it, digress too much. Yeah. Okay, but here's another thing I'll also bring up about Coco. Um, besides, like, you know, uh, the references and all that. Uh, I want to talk about the music, yo. Uh, there are so many renditions of that one theme, Remember Me, that oh, it was yeah. nice, but you know that feeling that it's gonna be an Oscar bait kind of song in that sense. I uh, don't agree. It will I probably be nominated so. somehow. I, I think it's gonna be forgotten uh, in terms of like best original score. It'll at least be in the Oscars somehow, yeah. yeah. As, as, a, as an original I mean, song, you know? You know what? This Someone is definitely nomination. going to win best animated, uh, unless some unless Fernando the fucking bull turns out to be like. I don't or know. or some no. guy who could or the guy who created songs of the sea has another animated show that came out that we don't know about. Actually, you know? the strongest contender for Coco for this year, but I don't know if the movie came out this year was uh, the Red Turtle. Red Turtle, okay. I know Did it come out this year or last year? It came out this year. Yeah. This year, right? But it's a short film, isn't it? It's yeah, not really a short film, but it's like to me the strongest animation this year. Okay. I haven't it seen has it. That Miyazaki, but I've s- uh, I've seen the trailer and I really want to see it. Oh, you have to. It to. looks I, I gotta see it. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, but if you're going up against it's Coco, December, yeah. yeah. So but yeah, gotta start catching up with those films. I, I'm not a big fan of uh, Latino music. I mean, yeah, much as I look like it, you know, this pasty white boy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you said it. <laughs> I was, I was definitely like, you know, bopping along at most of these tracks. They're just, there's something really wonderful and, you know, because it's I like, guess that was the yeah. big joke that in the Land of the Dead, it felt so alive. Yeah, like, it fits. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, like, okay. I mean. Speaking as a person who owns some Jennifer Lopez albums oh. <laughs> and a Gloria Estefan CD, <laughs> you know that's the, that's all I know about Latino Shakira music. Shakira too. <laughs> Shakira's not Latino. We've music. all heard Despacito. Yeah. We know what Latino music yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. Or the Lambamba guys. Lambamba <laughs> guys. Uh, they're called Los Lobos. Yeah, Los Lobos. You see, I know who Los Lobos are, so I have every right to speak on there this. There we go. Some of the best music in an animated. Uh, film and the thing is coming right after the bullshit Olaf Frozen adventure like, <laughs> this was such a nice palate cleanse all of a sudden <laughs> especially when he and uh, Little Miguel and Hector did their duo oh for the, for yeah the talent show and then they did that oh. um, mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called but like that weird cry they do that was just that's not that's not us being racist that's what they say yeah that's literally what they do in the movie I mean Music's amazing, visuals are amazing, performances are amazing. The story is heartfelt and so sincere. Yeah. So it's like probably the best animated movie this year? Maybe. Uh, and it highlights Pixar's strengths in like, you know, doing, I mean, focusing more on the story and then having an outcast per se, but at the same time, bringing the whole theme of family together. Yeah, this say. is what happens when they're no longer looking at 
what's going to make us the most money. Yeah. This is them finally going back to what made them so fantastic in With the first place. Cool and story going is king. on that point, eccentric Tom, let's bring some controversy. Remember when Disney tried to trademark Day of the Dead? For the promotion of this movie, oh, <laughs> I think for some reason people remember that shit more. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. As much as I don't like to bring up Book of Life, let's bring up the fact that Disney tried to buy. Oh no, wait. The word is trademark. Cult, trademark. Right? Not only trademark, but culturally misappropriate. <laughs> it's <laughs> just world. Disney being Disney. And the thing is, right? Oh, your lucky Coco is this good because we can totally ignore that. Now. Like yeah. because <laughs> if Coco had been bad and you brought that up. We would be tearing you in an asshole, no, like, as like, if you'd fucking care. I don't, I don't even want to say if it had been bad. If it was like, if it was like good, generic, mediocre. Oh like, yeah, anything like, short of just the masterpiece that we got. Exactly, it was yeah. so good. We forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Until I brought it up. Yeah. See, I'll remember. You'll all be remembered. Like Disney, <laughs> this was a great thing, but still, fuck you. It's like all our nitpicks for Coco has to be taken sort of out of context, but not really per se. Yeah. Like also, stuff that happens surrounding Coco. Yeah. Also, fuck you for killing off your games division and Lucas Art and all that. Yeah. So Tim Schafer, I'll remember you. <laughs> I got Brutal Legend for free remember on the humble bundle. <laughs> yeah. We'll put your. Uh, Picture up on our altar so you can come and visit us whenever yeah. you want. Yeah, right next to Rasputin and uh, who's the biker from Full Throttle? Uh, yeah, Ben. Ben. <laughs> you doubting yourself right there. Ben. Okay, so okay. Uh, we also remember the voice actor who also passed away as well earlier on. Back, I mean, the voice actor for Ben. Yeah. Who? I'm trying to remember his name, sorry. <laughs> but he definitely did. You started to dust right yeah. now you, in the afterlife. You How totally you? undermined your own point. We're going to remember this voice actor who I don't know. <laughs> Some dude. <laughs> okay, okay. So like, tell me what, let's wrap this up. Coco, to me, 5 upon 5. 10 upon 10. Full sombrero. Absolutely. Yeah, full sombreros. For an animation. Full nacho sombrero. Yeah. Full nachos? Nacho sombrero. Nacho sombrero. Have you seen a Simpsons episode where he, he has a sombrero made of nachos and then he has like the... You do understand that that is very racist. <laughs> it's a Simpsons reference! <laughs> actually, nacho, yeah. nacho, man. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. And on that note, we're going to be taking a short break to uh, collect ourselves. You mean ourselves. a short siesta? <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be we back... have a hammock in this office? I don't know. We'll be back with our review of Murder on the L'Express Lorient. Badges? We don't need no stinking badges! Come on, the train. You're right, it Come on, the train. Derail! Nice quasi DJ throwing right there. Yes, there's a Space Jam reference for people who remembered the Space Jam movie. The website has finally gone down, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I think this year, yes. I think. Go quote me on that. So, are we ever going to get the Space Jam sequel starring Kobe Bryant? It is coming out, yes. Oh, really? But there's no trailer, no. I thought it was. The other one. Kobe Bryant. It's Kobe Bryant. Who else could it be? Kobe! Uh, Who else could possibly be the greatest of all time? LeBron. LeBron. <laughs> nah, LeBron no. not yet. LeBron could be... Thanks safe. for the save, by the way. <laughs> Maybe five years down the line? Or Steph Curry. No, Steph Curry too young. Too young, yeah. too recent. You know, I would say... Oh, it has to be a guy who's retired and then is coming back. So we're talking about a Kenneth Branagh movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, so do you want to set up Express. the Better Than Express? It's the Murder on the Orient Express. Like, well, all I can say is, is about this detective, Hercule, Hercule Poirot. I was going to say Hercules, actually, yes. Hercules, who is, Hercules, Hercules. Who is it? Why are you being derailed who, by an Eddie Murphy? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Who is tasked with the 
to solve this mystery on the train that just What's got stuck in the What's the train called again? Orient Express. So it's a murder on the Orient Express. That's correct. Well, actually, the official name is coming is uh, uh, Le Compagnie d'Express uh, avec uh, les les cars du uh, merdier du chambre et <laughs> du chambre oh, du chambre et du uh, some of the French are yeah. ready thank you <laughs> avec good stuff Hercule Poirot Hercule Poirot Hercule and of oh, course God. the suspects are your colorful everybody colorful cast of their characters ranging Starting from with... princes okay Daisy Ridley play. no 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 don't say the actresses names say the character names I cannot do that I I'll feel. do it for you okay it's okay. Colonel Mustard this <laughs> 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 is Peacock <laughs> okay, and so the candlestick. Uh, uh, no lead pipe. Uh, it's a lead pipe in the. B- There's in the also a candlestick. It was a candlestick. Oh yeah, you're right. And the rope and a gun and poison. It was Madame Scarlet <laughs> with okay. the overacting and the lunch food. So, for those of you who don't know, which is a pr- everybody, <laughs> possibly the most famous murder mystery written by Agatha Christie. Dude's on a train. Another dude gets murdered on the train. He tries to find out who killed dude on the train. Turns out. Everyone killed a dude on the train. Spoilers. Yeah. Oh, Spoilers so- for something that came out like what? 1930 God. fucking <laughs> four. <Yes. laughs> but but what we're gauging this uh, adaptation on is how well it presents itself and how well it's stylized. You know what? I love well the done. wrestling of uh, eccentric Tom putting on his history hat right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> it's, it's a, a really big hat. Sorry, you called? Um, be careful, boys and girls. Let's, this, oh. When inaccuracy happens, he's there to pop by the Did scene. Did someone say historical inaccuracies? <laughs> the sound say Agatha Christie. Actually, it's pretty historically accurate, I would say. Really? Well, for the most part. I mean, they did a good job of showing There that was a black guy on a train with rich white people? Yeah. <laughs> Look, Gandhi rode first class in uh, the 1920s in Africa. Mm-hmm. No, no, not Gandhi. Ben Kingsley rode first class. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> sure. Like, no, but I would say, like, okay, um, one thing about the Madonna Air Express, it's a movie that came out of nowhere. I wouldn't even say it came out of nowhere. There was very little press for this. There was... No one needed this movie. Except for Kenneth Branagh, apparently. <laughs> uh, Kenneth okay, Bran- why do you think he wanted to direct and act in this Kenneth movie? Branagh. Because Maybe Kenneth- you can explain a bit about his so psyche. Kenneth Branagh was at home one day, looking in the mirror, jacking off, and thinking, you know what I really should do? I should just show how brilliant I am as a French as a, person, as an actor Belgium. and a director, and my French accent. <laughs> So like okay, we also it's a dramatization, but it Let's probably happened. Wait, wait, wait. So it definitely <laughs> happened. Drama- Over dramatization. This is subtlety, sir. So this is how we do subtlety with a double mustache. Anyway, that's a good-looking mustache. <laughs> it is not. not. <laughs> it's a terrible mustache. Like it's part mustache, and then he grew part of a beard and shaved around it to look like he's got Another a longer mustache. mustache. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, okay, one thing we need to also kind of bring up again is the fact that okay, so. You're half Belgian, right? Yeah, indeed. So, uh, Hercule Poirot is uh, Belgian by nature. Yes. So he had kind He's of sometimes head. referred to as the most famous Belgian, which really pisses me off. But Not sure. Ronald McDonald? <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a deep cut for all of you. <laughs> anyway, boys and girls, I'm going to ask you this. So, like, the thing about uh, Hercule Poirot... I, I, we have to pronounce it that way. Yes, yes. Hercule fucking Poirot! 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 So, Mr. Poirot. Poirot. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say Poirot. Hey, Mr. Parrot. <laughs> so, I'm just gonna say Bernard. Just call him Kenneth Branagh, please. Okay, so, so Mr. Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so Kenneth Branagh plays Hercule Poirot. Yes. Okay, um, 
who is the traditionally of Belgian descent. Yes. Okay, so this is uh, Kenneth Branagh, who is, uh, according to our research, uh, not only English, but also kind of Irish. North Irish. North He's Irish. from Belfast. All right, so... Let's talk about uh, let's let's do the whole. Uh, so the French, how accurate is the French? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know the French word for fudge, so I guess he got that particular thing right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm guessing. <laughs> but um, I would say like, like chocolate sauce. <laughs> the French wasn't egregiously wrong, but they very rarely spoken French, which is a bit of like it just shows how little trust Americans have in their audiences. It's like they have a little bit. It's like um. I mean, I'm going to have to compare it to the best version of this film, which is the 1974 one with Albert Finney. Albert Finney, yeah. Okay. And there's a part in the film where part of the setup is the a bellboy, I guess, or the conductor, knocks on uh, the door of the guy who gets killed. He says, excuse me, monsieur. Uh, and then the guy goes, c'est rien, c'est un cauchemar. Like, it's okay, it's a nightmare. But the only thing they keep in here is a c'est rien. Mm. Like, it's nothing. It's like... If you're going to reference a very particular part of a better movie, mm-hmm. don't half ass it. Come on. It's like, and don't play the bullshit. Oh, no one remembers that movie. Like, I remember that movie. I'm sure other people did. I did. Probably not most of the people in Singapore, like, considering how many people were so surprised in the, in the screening I was in. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's cool, right? Like, like, watching a look, I watched, we watched this with the local audience. Yeah. Like, yeah. They didn't see you that can, coming. You can hear the gasps. Like, and then, <gasps> But and it's even worse. It's like, oh my god, I am a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, worse. I'm a film nerd. I'm a film nerd. I know how this ends, but I just want to see how they do it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I mean, like for me, uh, Mr. Brana is the weakest part of this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. okay. Let's tell you what. Let's do it uh, proper. We're gonna go through all the performances. Absolutely. Then we're gonna go through uh, the setting and the aesthetics mm-hmm. yeah. and the technicalities. And also, we have we definitely have to uh, talk about in full. I mean, a full discussion about how uh, Brana decides to retell a very famous story with a very famous plot twist yeah. and, and like whether he pulled it off or not so like firstly uh, let's go down the line okay so for me the lead Mr. Barna quite weak quite weak because like I mean uh, as much as this is obviously a vanity project but it just seeps through too much it's like it's very obvious that this is him up his own ass trying to do like putting on only, not only putting on too many moustaches but too many hats <laughs> yeah and the moustache protected and so don't forget it's just like <laughs> Everything about him isn't a good fit for what Paro is meant to be because Paro, the thing that sold him wasn't his physical presence, it was, you know, it's his analytical mind, the way he kind of. Like, just, he's very unassuming. Yeah, already. he kind of. He's meant to be small, a bit chubby. Like, you're meant to look at him and go, huh, funny looking fella, and never think about it. I and then you hear him drop a bomb and go, oh shit, how the hell does your mind work? But Brunner is this really tall, lanky guy. Very pompous. Yeah, and he. He dominates a lot of the rooms he's in. He which... has presence, which isn't really quiet for someone who's supposed to solve the mystery. is not about presence. He's yeah. about yeah. being unassuming. Like, he's the kind of guy That's... who you're meant to always like underestimate. underestimate. That's why he was so effective that in the That is actually a problem with a lot of adaptations for detective mystery novel books. Hmm. Like, no, uh, for saying... Sherlock, no, especially when yeah, they was... there was so much attention to Sherlock rather than the actual mystery but Sherlock story. Sherlock is supposed to be like Sherlock, Sherlock is meant to be... No, not for the books. No, no. The books, Are the mystery sure? takes center stage. Watson and Sherlock come in sort of at a side per se. At Are least that's how sure? I feel. Yes, I'm very sure. The, yeah. co- the Conan novels? The books, the books. You've read the books? A you bit, a bit here yeah, and there. The no, Hounds you can't say you read it a bit. How many times did freaking... 
I mean, he will obviously ejaculate <laughs> to not both. too much. No, no, it wasn't as apparent. I don't when know which you, you can read it. No, here's the, here's the, uh, let me tell you a little bit of a tidbit about the Sherlock Holmes books. Okay, firstly, it's very obvious that Sherlock Holmes is a pretentious twat. Okay, constantly going on about his fucking fiddle. Yeah, and about how like everybody should step out of his way because. And the thing is, he has the most pompous line of all time. It's elementary, like, duh, can't you It's see? a catchphrase, but I don't think it dominated the books I've read anyway. It doesn't I mean, dominate the, the books, maybe. Yeah, but, but like, the mysteries do take some attention compared to the the Benedict Cumberbatch shows where it was actually more on an intensive Yeah, but I'm not even say. comparing it to Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm comparing Hercule Poirot to Sherlock Holmes. Mm. Sherlock and Holmes is an asshole. Hercule Poirot is... Oh, okay. he's, no, he's, he's just... Like, he's strange. a he's a bit pompous, but it's a, it's a nice kind of pompous. Mm-hmm. It's a thing where it's like, oh, bless. Yeah, uh, like, I didn't read... Like, reading... I, I've never read the Agatha Christie books, but I did read the Sherlock Holmes books. Mm-hmm. And, like, Sherlock Holmes is meant to be a person that you didn't like. He's meant to be just uh, grating. But, yeah. I am, but I'm actually getting to the point where the mystery usually has to take some of the stage, and then the whoever is solving the case and well, whatnot comes in, per se. Well, like, the movies... Okay. Maybe a better comparison. Okay, maybe what's a better comparison in this? Like, like I would say this, right? Uh, let's take it comparison, uh, retelling to retelling. If you want to compare this to the Sherlock Holmes, you have to compare this to the Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, which is obviously what it's trying to be. Yes, yes. You know, and the thing is, like, the Robert Downey Jr. is basically what if Sherlock Holmes was a really good-looking guy and also an action star? <laughs> yeah, set in London town. Yeah, the focus like, is Richie, wrong right get there. Get out of my movie. <laughs> Yeah, the focus is wrong on those films, and I felt that there was the same problem with Murder on the Orient Express. Okay, look, my main issue is, aside from what I've already said, Kenneth Branagh obviously was watching the TV version of Sherlock Holmes and said, oh, what if Poirot was more like Sherlock Holmes? So, like, Asperger's as fuck. I would even think that. I would think more like, it's like Fox Studios going like, can you do... What they did with Sherlock, because except with a different because guy. the high functioning yeah. sociopath is really selling these days. Like, but that's not the appeal of poor whatever, whatever. Yeah, but it's like basically like you know when people saw uh, Twilight, like oh let's what what are tween things can we put out there? Yeah, which is in the same light. So I don't know, maybe this is banking off the success of uh, TV Sherlock or even Robert Downey Sherlock. Probably both. Probably, Probably both. both right. But more likely yeah. TV Sherlock because I feel like that's had the longest impression. Because mm. also, I think uh, coming back to Star Power is slightly stronger than uh, the juniors right now. Yeah, I agree, definitely. I mean, also props to Martin Freeman. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but okay, now let's go down the line. Uh, after Mr. Hercule Poirot, I mean, like, Mr. Toffee, do you think that he kind of overdid it here and there? Quite a Bit actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shall we all talk about the establishing moment where we have to all be introduced to Hercule Poirot in the most ham-fisted way possible? Uh, where he has to solve this thing with where, the rabbis, right? Yeah, with the priest, the rabbi, and the imam against the wailing wall. Yep. Where he sticks his <laughs> stuff into the wall. I'm pretty sure that's offensive. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's meant to be not okay. I'm pretty sure yeah. that's not the wailing wall, but I understand it, that the for thing a said wailing yeah. wall, Jerusalem. Oh, I under- at yeah. the Wailing Wall, at but the not that particular Wailing I understand that they're making a movie for you know like a new audience who have not heard yeah. about this book at all. They need something to establish that, okay, Hercule, Hercule is this guy who is smart and all that as an introductory thing, but honestly they could have done it a bit more less on the nose, thing perhaps. Is, he is the kind of character who created you know that... Uh, that trope of meeting in the dining in the drawing room to say who the killer is. That is who Paro is. That is his entire shtick. Mm-hmm. And now he's doing in this kind of like big, almost like a public execution kind of accusation. And it's against like like the greatest show on earth. Like, I'm gonna spoil it. Like the the guy who turns out to have done it is the chief of police. 
Like, surely you must know that is not a good idea to undermine the head of law enforcement in the big fucking powder cake that is Jerusalem in the 1930s. So, like, you know, speaking of offensive, uh, let's talk about Josh Gett. Uh, <laughs> Actually, uh, the thing is, we went full on about how he had his feature debut in uh, Olaf's Frozen Adventure. Oh fuck me! <laughs> in a previous segment, and then he's trying his best to be in a sort of serious role. And here you see him now. And the thing is, right? Okay, I gave him a bit of props if you remember in season two for the Fantastic Beast review, mm-hmm. where I thought he was probably the most interesting uh, part of like. That no, wasn't just Cat. Oh no, no, that was the guy from Blades of Glory. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's why you know it's basically. No, you're thinking of LeFou. LeFou. From Beauty and the Beast. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, here's the problem I have with Josh Gett. He's so replaceable. Like, you could replace him with another he, funny he, guy. Is he's like the thing is, if he and like Jack Black switched up in Jumanji and this movie, I wouldn't have noticed. Yeah, but I think you're being a bit unfair. I thought that he did a pretty good job considering he is primarily a comedic actor, mm-hmm. and that's where he got his start. So the fact that he was trying to do something serious. It was a good first attempt. I think I would maybe say. the term is he's trying to do a Jonah Hill. <laughs> yeah, but even Jonah Hill stuck to some more comedic shit like Wolf of Wall Street. True, but then Moneyball. I haven't seen Moneyball, so I can't really compare. You love it. I'm, you like it if you if you, if you like the muffs, <laughs> quick muffs. Oh, okay. Sorry, I for me, Josh get um, like I like the fact that he was the made to be the first suspect. Yeah, and mm. also at the same time, like okay, I mean, we're definitely gonna talk about Johnny Depp and his very very iconic role as mm-hmm. the guy who gets killed. <laughs> you know, but no, but like Josh Gett is like, uh, I don't know. To me, he felt like the most phoned in. Like he felt like, yeah, this is a character. This is the, I need to tell this information to Hercule Poirot right now, just to get the story moving along. Mm-hmm. And like he's the one who didn't go the extra, or that could be me misinterpreting a comedian doing his first dramatic. I turn. think. He was trying to be subtle, and maybe it came across as phoning in, but I think that honestly, he did an earnest job. Not mm. necessarily a good job, but I could tell that his heart was in the right place, and maybe because he's not as practiced as, you know, if Jack Black had done it, I think that he would have sold it better because Jack Black has done more serious roles before. But yeah. he is, he feels like, yeah, if you just replace him with another guy, no one's going to be. Also, remember, he is quite young still. And I mean, but the thing is, it's no fault to uh, Josh Gett. It's more like, you know, like, compared to all the powerhouses he's surrounded with. Well, I mean, yeah, when you compare that, like, you've got Josh Gad and then William Defoe, Michelle Judy Dent, Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, my God. Penelope Cruz. Sorry. Penelope Cruz. There you go again, sticking Mexicans again. And actually, I guess Daisy Ridley wasn't too bad in a way. So Daisy Ridley, to me, felt like, okay, you're the star power here because yeah. you're going to be in the Star Wars movie and the thing is, we need you to be on the front of the poster. It's yeah. like, no, Michelle Pfeiffer should have been on the front of the poster. Absolutely. This one. But Definitely. then that would have given away the main story, I would say. Everybody knows how this ends. Well, yeah, I guess I could arrange it in another way. They but could arrange it in another way, but great, it's really very strange, obvious. Really strong performance. The, like, the feeling I have about this film in particular, this is a Fox film. Fox is kind of not in dire straits, but they are on the verge of either being bought over by Disney or being like, you know, falling apart, falling yeah. apart into oblivion. But like, he, we can see them trying their best to push things out there. And like, here we go, lo and behold, uh, we have a Scott Free production. This is really yeah. Scott in the, in the producer role, as well as Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh, very visible in Dunkirk this year. Mm. Okay. Uh, Johnny Depp, very visible in Fantastic Beasts this year, and also in the Pirates. And Pirates. Pirates and that's that, for some reason. That, 
still going that on. That press photo of him in the Dark Universe for some reason. Oh, yeah. He's he... gonna be the Invisible Man. Like, okay. <laughs> and, of, of course, in Fantastic Beasts 2, which is gonna happen. Yeah, The Crimes of Grindelwald, I think it's called. Which has... I have no idea. I'm not a fan. But, okay, but well, there you that, go. That's the thing, like, you know, my wife is a fan of Harry Potter. She has no interest in seeing that movie. Really? Yeah. Mm. Well, she hated Fantastic Beasts. It was too Americanized. Oh, I thought it was too English. It was just trying to be pre cool just for the sake of just getting the Harry Potter. But this is what I'm getting at. It's like also like you have all like to me this felt like a studio put all these pieces together. Yeah. And they were trying to convince you like oh it's also directed like when you say it's directed and acting and start I mean and also starring Kenneth Branagh, it doesn't feel more like an artist choice. More like I mean yeah it's Wankery at its finest. Absolutely. But it's also like. You know, we could save a lot of money if we don't hire a director. <laughs> just have him direct himself. He, he's, he thinks he can do it, you know? Yeah, this ensemble piece, I mean, you're just looking at production values and how everyone interacts with each other in that script, per se. And to be honest, they're all powerhouse actors, but they're not expensive powerhouse actors. Especially in this... But recognisable, Like, Judy Dench will do pretty much anything if she even halfway likes a script. She would be in Pirates Part 3 where she gets necked by Johnny Depp. Remember that? Actually, I don't actually know. No, there's this one scene when Johnny Depp like jumps into a carriage and is randomly Judy Dench in a cameo. Oh yeah, <laughs> and she was also in both Best Exotic Marigold Hotel movies. So, yeah, she was M in James Bond. Yeah. Yeah, and she was. Uh, she's been in various TV things as well because she just enjoys being Judy Dench. Mm-hmm. And William Dafoe has not done anything big in a long time. The last time I saw him was probably Grand Budapest Hotel, where he played like the random assassin. He was also in Fault in Our Stars. No, he was in this year's Death Note. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Who did he play? Ryuk. Oh. Ryuk. Oh, he played Ryuk. Oh, yes. my. Oh, so that's why that's probably the only here. good... Okay, quote-unquote good thing about Death Note. The only tolerable part. <laughs> yeah. You know what's the only good thing about the Death Note remake? You don't have to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. You have a choice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But, okay. Uh, yeah, speaking of remakes, you know, um, I, I want to kind of bring up the fact that this movie felt very piecemeal it felt very much like a studio decided to take some property that wasn't too expensive like I'm pretty sure there isn't high demand for Agatha Christie movies no no one's clamouring for them (coughs) I mean as sad as it is the last Agatha Christie thing to be remade was a BBC TV series that was made two years ago so it's not expensive to buy the rights I agree so but I think it's almost public domain given another 20 years yeah I think you're right it could be possibly public domain Um, but also at the same time it's like okay you have something that is not only probably cheap and like easy to put together I mean if you look at the CGI in this movie yeah okay I mean I remember like I mean it's pretty but not I mean not obviously not super pretty I mean I would say this the CGI is obvious but very obvious they do make the kind of good job at the beginning at least setting up like the feeling and the look of what these places look like. Like Jerusalem and Istanbul, right? Even though Jerusalem doesn't have sea access. Yeah, that, that was an artistic choice from Brunner, like, I believe. You know how they could have sold... No, I don't think it's by Brunner. Oh, it's from like, who then? It's, it's just, probably the art department. Like, look at this concept art. Like, oh yeah, it's just the ocean then. Yeah, it's just Fox saying, eh, no one cares anyway. We have this... Yeah. All this shit's happening in the train anyway. <laughs> you know, they could have just spent an extra, I don't know, $200 and just put up Tel Aviv. Or tire, like okay, fine. But the fact that they kind of suggest that Jerusalem extends all the way down to the Mediterranean, <laughs> it's 40, mi- 40 minutes inland, it's in mountains. Ah! Let me ask you, Mr. Uh, eccentric Tom, yeah, was it called Jerusalem or Constantinople then? 
Jerusalem. I mean, I mean, like, I'm sorry, Istanbul or Constantinople. It was called Istanbul at that point. It was okay. So Constantinople is way earlier, like Ottoman Empire. Uh, yeah. This is I it got called Istanbul once the Ottoman Empire fell and became just Turkey. All right. What was it before Turkey? Chicken. No. <laughs> the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire. And before that, the Byzantine Empire. The, oh, okay, cool. Well, no, Roman Empire, if you want to get technical. Anyway! <laughs> Thanks for that history interlude, Tom. Yeah, shout out to my European Universalis uh, episode. you know. Anyway, ding, so, ding, ding. Uh, I also want to say this. Uh, okay, let's go down the list. Okay, so let's talk about Daisy Ridley. So she is... She was fine. She was fine. Yeah. She was alright. She's not... Given her role. She's not a powerhouse actor, but she doesn't need to be. She's nice enough to watch. And especially her teeth, whoa. Yeah. Shiny teeth. Like, wow. She's got really big teeth. That's yeah. all I have to think about whenever I saw her. She has impressive, nice teeth. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and I know I just really like Daisy Ridley because I'm used to seeing her in interviews and in stuff. And she was a guest on the My Dad Wrote a Pono. Um, oh, uh, she podcast. was, was she? Yeah. So okay. Really shout us to other podcasts. We shouldn't be doing that. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, there are no other podcasts. How dare you? This is the only one. But I'll but she does bring in the presence as. That as the one of the main suspects. But to me, suspects. like yeah. she felt like she got the most uh star. She got the most attention. She yeah, got yeah. the beefiest role, and I mean, when you get called out outside the train just for that one scene at the yeah, table she, and all of, that. Everybody gets interviewed in in the train. She gets the lovely mountain bike But it, but it, it, they bring out her good side, I guess. Maybe bring out her good side, I guess. Sir, she's in Star Wars shit. Okay, okay. You know, she, like literally two weeks later, her movie is gonna squash this movie. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Okay, expected. So, you know, so, yeah. like it was, it's definitely for all you Daisy Ridley fans out there who can't wait to see her as uh, probably a Jedi. Yeah. Watch her as some uh, 1930s kind of uh, pearl twirling possible evil woman, but no, who's in love with a black guy? And, like, yeah. Like, it's, it, because we, we need to break boundaries and be totally woke. Yeah, progressive. Like this train, it goes both ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but if anything, like um. Like, then of course I mean to me the best thing about this film is definitely Michelle Pfeiffer mm, I would say yes, so yes. she adds so much emotional weight especially at the big reveal at the end which I'll talk more about later but yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> she definitely sold the person the, this woman who was you know really masking a seemingly flaky person like, you know, she started like just being this really ditzy, yeah. weird, like, you know, oh, you know, I collect husbands, I like going out because I like to spend money, but I don't like to make money. Then we realize, oh no, she's just a terribly, terribly hurt uh, mother. I mean, let's also do mild spoilers. She was the actress Lisa Artner. So she's a character playing a character playing a character. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was pretty <laughs> meta. I have to say and like you know especially her big reveal in the end where like basically Hercule Poirot points out like oh yeah that's the missing piece you you are the missing piece you are the <laughs> sister of the person who yeah that uh, doped up uh, former Shall actress we yeah. actually even go into detail about the plot about, about how all these characters actually know each oh, other oh yeah uh, they all know each other because the guy who dies played mm. by Johnny Depp He's called Ratchet. Ratchet. Actually, his name is Cassetti. Cassetti, yeah. He abducted and killed this little two-year-old girl in America, which then caused fallout, as in the mother of the child uh, had a miscarriage and then died. Father Father committed suicide. And they also uh, accused the French maid, who then committed suicide because she was then condemned for the death of the child. And then the Spanish maid who was there... 
He was he was there. <laughs> she was there, but she was. Yeah, but she decided drugged. to turn a very zero. Yeah. Everyone is there because they're in some way related or know. Like, you know, there was one was the cook. One is several family members. One was the governess. That's Daisy Ridley's character. Yeah. One was a friend like, from the war and all that. They're, they're, they're two different <laughs> friends of the war. Like the black guy yep. was recognized by him and put through medical school because of the father. And he, one thing I the old up. the old guy dying of thyroid cancer was his Batman. Yeah. Which, okay. It's been this right now. Batman meant like your valet on the battlefield. Yeah, that's what he means. It wasn't like a guy in a suit going Batman <laughs> in the Somme. Although I would love to see that film. Batman nineteen thirties. No, Batman nineteen nineteen tens. Sorry, tens. I think it exists, but Batman War. I think it was for. Yeah, but I'm talking about anyway, like. Yeah, back to this. This yeah. was during the Great War. Yeah. Anyway, back to the Great War. How we're just like dis- dissecting all this. Right yeah. yeah, and also. Um, What's his face? Uh, William Defoe as the Pinkerton agent pretending to be a former police detective. No, police detective pretending to be a Pinkerton agent pretending to be an Austrian racist guy. He was in love with the French uh, mm. maid. Right, right. I especially love the line, I cannot be sitting with him. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like with like. It's like, you're really heavy-handedly trying to paint yourself as a piece of shit. I mean, like, that's the thing about William Defoe is like, he, he I mean... To me, his greatest performance of all time is still as uh, Sergeant Elias in Platoon. Yeah. Okay. And his worst is definitely as Green Goblin. <laughs> his worst? I don't know How if it's the you? worst. I said the most memorable in Antichrist a way. Antichrist exists, remember? Yes, Antichrist. Thank you very much. That last Von Trier movie? Yes. Yeah, the one where he cuts his dick off. Last Temptation of Christ too. Don't forget. He, also, yeah. he, he played Jesus in Last Temptation yes. of Christ. Actually, no, I'll take it back. His worst performance was in uh, Boondock Sins. Oh, we play gay detective. Yes. <laughs> okay. like, that was a very unnecessary huh. for him. No, okay, okay I, I don't agree so much. Like for me, William Dafoe is a very particular kind of actor who really needs to be directed properly. And then uh, you feel that he was directed properly in no, this I don't. case. Like I would mm. say this right. I think Kenneth Branagh was too busy directing himself. other things. <laughs> I don't think he directed himself. You know, I, but I can imagine because he's absolutely perfect and marvelous. He's <laughs> no, like the ultimate this, right. actor. He's the kind of fucker who probably like do multiple takes for his scenes, and then oh. he for it's everybody like, else. No, I didn't get that quite right. Let me try that again. It's like action cuts. <laughs> no, yeah, I can imagine that. Like whereas like something like Willem Dafoe, he'll like do his first reading and be like, okay, that's fine, we're done. Like and he's like, what? Like yeah, because again, like Fox is like, yeah, you're not gonna spend too much money on this. We don't. Need, we need a quick turnaround movie for Christmas time. Because Star Wars is gonna happen, and you have exactly two weeks. To we make need the money to be back. in and out fast. <laughs> okay, just like Hercule Poirot, which is the problem. Yeah. Because the thing is, they try to turn this into a kind of a caper, suspense thriller, action adventure. And I say action adventure because there's action. Moments. There's actual action moments where he's chasing Joss Gad. A yeah. fight and a gunfight and a train. Yeah, yes. it's like the action scene where he's chasing an overweight dude. This old former police detective running down a flight of stairs in a train bridge i do blame in minus what degree temperature yeah. minus 10 minus 15 i do blame this on you know this being a hollywood film they have to act they have to put it in no choice to yeah, so. just get more suspense so this is what with I'm all saying. the talking that's but always going on if anyway. you don't have suspense from a murder mystery you're doing the murder mystery wrong. This is Bingo. the Hollywood mind state. Like, they don't know how to think that way, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, did they have to add action scenes to Gone Girl? Nope. No, not really. But, but yeah. was that really a super high budget film when you think about it? No. Yeah. And that's a good film. It was <laughs> yes, a David Fincher movie, of course film, it yeah. was good. Yeah. Starring Ben Affleck. Oh yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. And I also also wanna say this, right? Uh 
So it does feel unnecessary, but exactly. Again, I mean, that's the point I really want to bring up. You know, I don't want to be under too much. I don't want to derail this uh, conversation anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we have to. I mean, I've already derailed our whole uh, day of the date earlier. But I would say this right. Murder of the Orient Express to me felt like totally unnecessary in every possible way. Uh, basically, because one, it felt too much like a Kenneth Branagh vanity project. Mm-hmm. Two, it felt like here are other actors in other movies, and we're gonna just bank off the these other films the like star power the, and branding, the performances. Right? And it's like this all felt to me like a very insincere project put together. Mm. But unfortunately, once you put it into Kenneth Branagh's crew sense, they decided to make it the most sincere thing possible. Yeah, Was and then I feel that it's also gonna be. I think that's also. The, I agree with the insincere part, Shafiq, because at the end of the film, they name drop another of Agatha Christie's other novels. Oh too. yeah, can we talk about the <laughs> worst fucking sequel hook? It's like. You might as well leave when, when a deep cut coming yeah, out there. When it's all wrapped up, you know, Hercule Poirot's walking away, the deed is done, and they go, Excuse me, Mr. Poirot, you're needed in Egypt, sir. There's, there's been a murder on the bloody Nile of all things. You could almost say it was death on the Nile? Oh no! <laughs> Stroking mustache. Ba-ba-da-ba, Which mustache? <laughs> Good thing he's got two hands, so he can yeah. throw all of them at the same time. So here's the thing I think. Like, well, he needs one to masturbate as well. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> Poirot doesn't masturbate, apparently. He just makes sure the eggs are even. <laughs> that irritated me more than it needed to. Also, before we, like, you know, reach our final destination, mm-hmm. we must make one final detour. I need to talk about the whodunits. Like, the big reveal moments. Okay, no. do you want to do it with the context that let's assume people know what this movie is about? Let, okay, we're going to assume what people know about it. Yeah. If you don't, uh, fast forward the next... Maybe five, three, minutes, or five so. minutes or so. No, fast forward the next 80 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's been around this long. Or just yeah. pause, go watch the movie, come back. Yeah. Wikipedia exists. The <laughs> main reason why this story is so good is because it turns out every single suspect actually did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way the way it's written in the books and how it's shown in the previous films and in this film is that uh, Poirot says I have two solutions the difficult one where an unknown perpetrator came on killed Mr. Ratchet because he had enemies and then disappeared and then the logical one the more complex one but the logical one where all of the clues make sense is that they drugged him and then because all of you have motive you all went and stabbed him which is why he was found dead with 12 stab wounds of different kinds, like some were deep and hard, some were like slashing and weak, some were like definitely in the extent of passion, some were very medical and precise. It's because every single one of them went over and stabbed this man in the chest. It's a very cathartic kind of moment where you've all done a murder, but this was a man who, was who caused untold bad. misery to all of you, like yeah. a gangster who killed a child. Yeah. And that's a big thing because Poirot has to wrestle with it in his conscience because for him the world is very black and white it's like you're right and you're wrong there's law and there's which is chaos. one thing i would like to bring up the fact is like uh an establishing shot of, of him stepping in the shit yeah mm-hmm. and then stepping on it with the other foot like because he, he needs to have balance there needs yeah. to be there's an equilibrium that only he understands yeah, yeah. and it worked in the 74 version because he suggests this but he doesn't accuse anyone he says this is what i think happened However, I feel like the Yugoslav police will want the easier option. And so he says, which one do you want to go for? Easy option. Okay. 
I need to go now because I can't be on this train anymore. Here, instead, we have this big dramatic thing where they start shouting at each other, where Michelle Pfeiffer dramatically lifts off her wig to show her brown hair. Everyone, Everyone starts all crying. Sitting in a row, like in the last supper. They're sitting yeah. like. Um, last Supper. Like uh, is it Michelangelo or Da Vinci? Da Vinci. Da Vinci's Last Supper. And then uh, Poirot puts down his gun and says, Shoot me! Like, you must silence one more, no, commit one more crime. Nope. It wasn't. I don't think it was. <laughs> it was. And I never read the book. It was so. purely there to artificially wrap up the tension and make you think, of, oh, maybe this is the end of Paro. It's not going to be ending with the death of Paro. Which is what also kind of disappointed me was the fact that Michelle Pfeiffer actually took the gun. Yeah. And her character tried to shoot him and then <coughs> said to shoot herself. Yeah. It's like, oh, really? You need to add that? Like, for, 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 for the Hollywood audience. It worked so well before because there was that tension that they all thought that they were all going to go down and that they were going to have to do something to this man. But they realized he was on their side in a weird way. But to have this final confrontation, it felt so ham-fisted and blatantly Hollywood. It just left a bad taste in my mouth. Well... The joke is kind of on us all because apparently this is still a Hollywood adaptation. With yeah, all the actors, all that. I mean, so the first one was a Hollywood movie adaptation of it. Yeah, for its time. But yeah. this was in the seventies when people took I, risks yeah. or trusted the audience to have brain cells. It does suck that it does not take a different approach rather than going for the obvious route for this adaptation. I would say anyway. that the main problem with Murder on Orient Express, right, and it's very prevalent, especially in the choice of uh, who plays Poirot and who directed it. Okay, I'm not gonna blame. Kenneth Branagh for everything. But mm, I would say, like, most things. <laughs> totally, like, the main problem I have with uh, Burden of the Orient Express, right, was it, it draws way too much attention to itself. Absolutely. Ex mm. like, especially with the choice in the fucking moustache or the choice yeah. in his performance or even the way he frames certain shots, like, especially that, that scene where they introduce the cast and then you, like, you're, you're, the camera's, like, between, like, there's, a, like, a, a weird piece of glass that just, like, serrates their faces and, like, splits them just to show us, like, oh, look at how multi like faceted all these people are or this blah, shot blah. where he's walking down the train and you're looking in the window of each carriage and then you have like yeah. they're all like compartmentally I mean, like giving like, a sense that they're separated but together kind of thing I mean I would say this like there's doing things like in a very elegant way that's the one problem this movie is it's not elegant at all no it's a little bit too much like look at how smart or how clever I am overblown in a sense right I mean, or even, I would obvious even, I would, it's like yeah. trying yeah, to obvious. do trying to do fine detailing with a sledgehammer Exactly. Ah yes, yes. Hey, great analogy right there. Mm. Yeah. I mean, say, I mean, if anything, this movie is adding. Yeah. Which is what you shouldn't do. You know, like if, if you know what works, right? You either do a note for note remake. You know, you try to match it, or you just do something different. You know, and if anything, like that, how else can you adapt Murder on Express? You like, could change the setting. You could maybe change the motivation behind it yeah but unfortunately here we have like oh we've changed uh, now he's black mm -hmm. and it now is it's it's like, cosmetic change when you think nah, about it's like, it. yeah. it's like and then we're gonna enough. we're gonna add drama I literally it felt the like Hollywood a, drama the Hollywood yeah. style drama it's yeah. like it, it loses so much of the subtlety and the brilliance I, I'll say alright the brilliance of the original film and I guess the original story is that because it's so subtle and because it's never directly said out loud like in an accusatory sense is that it's a kind of I am deliberately not going to accuse all of you because 
I know you needed this. This Which is works this with the original character because everything yeah. is meant to be unassuming. Yeah. There's like this level of subtlety that's totally lost in this version. But in this Brunniverse where <laughs> you need to be this like big intimidating fucking moustache with a man behind it. Yeah. And have some theater presence going yeah, on. Because I'm a Shakespearean actor! <laughs> Oh, fuck I, you and your Hamlet. I did four. Yeah. <laughs> I did a five-hour Hamlet. Respect me. You know, I have something playing in my head that uh -huh. perhaps David Fincher, if we were to do a modern tell retelling of I this, I think I might be better. Maybe because he's more subtle. That'd be so I deranged and so, awful. Because I didn't like Zodiac at all. Zodiac was way too bloated also. Congol, mm. technically, I mean, we know who he, she ended up, that woman ended Bongo up killing them. Congol is fine, but the thing is, right, when, the thing is, the why I it brought up Zodiac, to say, yeah. once I brought up Zodiac, is Zodiac also has multiple possible suspects, yeah. and you have to tell each one's story. So it's like Fincher was too much of his own ass trying to like who could have was it this person, this person, this person, this person, and then like what I'm afraid of is if David Fincher did this, is like, uh, like he okay, might fall to the same trap, right? No, no, even yeah. worse, he'd be like he didn't do it. And like, okay, everybody's Kevin Spacey in fucking Seven. It's like, <laughs> like, no, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. He might have done that, which is like, okay, we didn't need that at all. Because the thing about, and then, like, if you want to do, like, a Fincherverse version, like, like, I love the lighting in this this film, actually. It's pretty well done. Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that's another thing. I feel like the art design was pretty spot on. It's pretty okay, If yeah. it captured the essence of what made films made yeah. back like in the past. except the moustache. Oh, the moustache was fucking obscene. <laughs> Especially Wait, was the, this the actually shot on a train? Is that one of the selling points? I right. don't yeah. know. It was filmed for 55 million. I don't think so. I think there's a lot of sound in the replica of a train, most likely. Because there's a lot of moments when, like, especially when that scene where the train was too smooth. No, but when Johnny Depp was talking to Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. I noticed that the, the scenery was shaking. Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, was this really shot on a train?" Like, that, that's what. That's what. But then again, moments like that actually break immersion for me. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Johnny Depp, uh, say what you like about him being a piece of shit human being who like is a wife beater. He was alleged, sir. Allegedly. Alleged with a restraining order. Um, he did a very good job, I would say, for the ten minutes he was alive. Like he was so disgusting and kind of Scummy. like Yeah, I you felt like you needed a shower just watching him walk around. Like I feel like he was very well cast for that kind of character. I felt that way after Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> oh I kinda <laughs> wanna kill him in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Well, I mean, hey, Everyone out there who wants to see Johnny Depp dead, go watch this movie. <laughs> it's worth the 10 bucks. <laughs> it's definitely worth the 10 bucks to watch him being stabbed by 12 different people. But if you want to watch a good movie where Johnny Depp dies, please watch Dead Man by Jim Jarmusch. Mm. That's an amazing film. <laughs> or, or just watch the second Pirates of the Caribbean and stop watching. <laughs> or Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, yeah, Edward Scissorhands. Did he you die? Did he not die? No, no, he, he ran You gotta away. go back to the classics. No. Uh, okay. So anyway, you want, you want to wrap Wait, up the entire... You want a good movie where Johnny Depp dies in the most horrific way, Friday the 13th... No, Friday the 13th... Uh, Alive on Street. Alive on Street where he turns into a blood volcano in his own bedroom. So yeah. anyway, let's wrap up this review of Murder on the Orient Express. Let's do it uh, Hercule Poirot style. So, eccentric Tom, who did it? Was it Mr. Toffee in the recording studio with a microphone? Or was it me, <laughs> the evil Dr. Shafiq? Twirling his moustache. Twirling my moustaches in the caboose with a dildo. No, in fact, it was me. <laughs> what? How? How? But how? Me. How did you do it? Explain how you killed all of us. <laughs> With extremely bad puns and poorly delivered jokes. 
I always say you bludgeoned us all to death with a history book. Yeah. <laughs> a really thick, abridged well, history book. Probably wait, wait, wait. If Burberry... Say that again. A totally thick. Stop. <laughs> I have a drop right now. Okay, so boys and girls, okay, that's our thoughts on uh, Murder of the Order Express. Murder Do we ever give it a rating? Murder on it. It's Do a 6 out of 10. Six out of ten for you. I'll give it a, actually. I was gonna give it a five. Honestly, I mean, but good performances between in five a way, and six. But again, a, we can tell it's already a bloated kind of remake. I mean, or adaptations, right? Adaptation. I would honestly recommend people do go watch it. That's the thing. Like, much as I have my issues with it, and much as I really, it's a good appetizer for the actual universe yeah, behind it. And right? much as I wish Brana would stop masturbating in my face, it's. <laughs> It's, it's a film worth watching. Mm. I mean, don't run out to watch it, but if you want to go see it, hey, it's not a bad way to spend your money. I mean, yeah. I mean it's average, but it's a good kind of average, yeah. I guess. I mean, like, if you want to see real Kenneth Branagh masturbation, right? That Frankenstein remake. Yeah, that's actually not bad. That's yeah, an, yeah. You've not seen it? I've seen the first half an hour. Yeah. Oh, wait, have you gone to the part where he and Robert De Niro are just kind of dancing in slime? No, I got to the... <laughs> I got a part where De Niro was like running around going. <laughs> yeah, we. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm actually yeah. reviewing this as a person who has never read the books, but know about You're you know some of the mystery, aware yeah. of it, and having some other TV shows or even anime adapting bits of those books here and there, like the Detec- Detective Conan for one. I would say I'm gonna stack this against every other remake that I'm aware of, and in the sense that, no, nah, it's terrible. No, nah, it it, oh. nah, it does enough to tell the same story but it doesn't do enough to stand on its own two feet stand on its own two feet I mean this is nothing as good as The Thing or as The Ring or as The Flight apparently all the good remakes I mean Chick's not even the best murder mystery in the last 10 years yeah Yeah, or 5 years when was the last really good murder mystery to come out for me yeah probably <laughs> wow! See, we had to think so long. In the yeah. last ten years, yeah, I can't think of anything. It's yeah. it's a dying genre, isn't it? I yeah. guess it's more for TV stuff. I mean, like I think that the the nomenclature is basically the who done it. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's good that they bring this up, but at the same time, we might want better who done it. But hey, it it made its money and then some, so we might be getting more better who done it in the future. So yeah. that's how do you think they're gonna do death on the Nile? Mediocrely. I, maybe he comes with like an even bigger moustache this oh, yeah. time it takes over his entire face <laughs> and a bigger overblown reveal it's just a moustache you know? like quivering as he speaks no in the next movie it's the moustache that solves the crime <laughs> he doesn't even appear anymore like he's yeah. in a and the moustache just like I thought, I, I thought it was endearing in a way but I know it's fake but what it fuck it no that's a real moustache moustache. he grew that shit I always thought it was CG in some parts, honestly. Well, <laughs> this is not Henry Cavill's <laughs> necessary. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that's why they spent all that money on. They removed it and stuck it on Kenneth Branagh's face. Oh, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, like, for me, like, the dream is still, uh, will somebody just do a live-action version of Hound of the Baskervilles properly? Please. Oh, like, that's a hard one to do well. That is my favourite uh, Sherlock Holmes book ever. And Without focusing too much on a very handsome Sherlock. Yeah, it'll be a handsome wolf. You know, the the hound will be played by Taylor Lautner. <laughs> okay. <right>? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, it's <laughs> not like he's doing apples. anything right yeah. now. It's not like yeah. Paycheck's good. Go for it. <laughs> well, if anything, okay. For me, Murder of Orient Express. Yeah, as derailing as this is, uh, five upon ten. Five upon ten because it tries different things, but it doesn't try different things well. Yeah. It didn't do a good enough job for me to think that. It I didn't would recommend take enough over risks. the original. Like, yeah. it was a very risk averse. Very much, you can see where Fox was saying. You can try and do this, but you have to stick to this, you have to include that, you need to do that part. So, like, 
maybe if Branner Oh, I hate, I'm about to say this. If only if Branner was allowed to go completely buck wild, it might have been a better movie. Like what he did on Thor. <laughs> Remember, Marvel is also pretty tight on the reins. So <laughs> there you go. So oh I no, think I, I think then I we would have like, had a seven-hour mode on the Orient Express. I think I feel like watching Mary Shelley's Frankenstein again. See how you know watching Mary it. Shelley's Frankenstein. Mar- she, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, right? Kind of Branner. I think uh, he's yeah. the one who attached the name, right? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's a terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they should have started the Dark Universe then. <laughs> oh, God. So, anyway, so, last King fans, tell us what you think. Who deserves to be murdered here on the podcast? <laughs> all of us, I think. Uh, all yeah. of us, I think. But if anything, so, we only have uh, two other blockbusters to be looking forward to. We have Jumanji 2 coming along. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> how many of you are looking forward to that? Uh, I like it. I like how you say it with a straight face. Unfortunately, this has been getting pretty good reviews, apparently. So now I'm really curious. People yeah. say it's a fun family romp. But they gave people a good review. They gave Madonna or an Express a pretty alright review, so who knows? So did we. Uh, 5 out of 10. It's 5 out of 10 review. is fine. Average, 5 out of 10 means average. it's passed. passed. Yes. Okay, it's fine. not like, you know, we just desiccated it. <laughs> okay. And of course, the juggernaut that is Star Wars at the end of this year. Ba, 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 da, ba, ba, Starring ba, everybody's ba, favorite set of teeth. Ba, <laughs> So, go check out the video of her answering questions while she's building a million pumpkin. Yeah, you can check it out on our Facebook page. Yes. So, boys and girls, this has been the Last King Podcast. Your last stop for today. Uh, this has been, uh, what was that again? El Jefe, El Hombre, uh, Shafiq. This has been Conductor Secretary Tom. I've been demoted since my introduction. <laughs> I'm still Los Manos, Mr. Toffee. Los Manos. Still lost, no matter what. Los Manos, Mr. Toffee. And we are setting up.